Welcome to the Curling for Change podcast. My name is Will Robertson, and I will be your host for this limited series. Brought to you by Curling Canada and sponsored by the World Curling Federation. Without further ado, let's get right into today's discussion. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Curling for Change podcast series. My name is Will Robertson. I'm here with Karen Trines. Helen Radford and Greg Smith for our Curling for, with Pride episode, uh, where we're going to have a conversation with folks from different aspects of the LGBTQ plus community in Canada and in the curling community, hear their stories, learn from them, and also kind of chat about some of the issues that are faced by the community within curling and what we can do a little bit about it. So this is our fourth episode that we've recorded. There's going to be a few others. So if you do appreciate the conversation or enjoy, please do share it. Uh, and we would really greatly appreciate that. And thank you for joining us. And thank you guys for joining me. Um, I'm gonna just get everyone to do a little intro first. Um, Greg, do you wanna go first? Sure, uh, thanks for having us. Um, this is wonderful to get to talk about this tonight. This is great. Um, my name is Greg Smith. I'm from St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, I curl, um, and for years I ran the curling at a country club here in St. John's, and I identify as pansexual, and my pronouns are he, him, uh, and I look forward to the discussions. I see this is shaking a little bit here on my uh, <laughs> my laptop, is, uh, but I look forward to this discussions tonight and uh, share my perspective and hearing the perspectives of the rest of you. Absolutely. Thank you, Greg. Uh, Helen, go ahead. Hi, I'm Helen Radford. I work for Curling Canada. I'm manager of NextGen. I live in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Um, I identify as lesbian. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation tonight. Karen, off to you. Sure. Hi, um, I'm Karen Trines. I'm excited to be here with uh, with this good group of people. Um, I am located in Ottawa. Um, I am a curler, although I'm just <laughs> semi-retired since having a baby last year, um, but uh, I identify as pansexual. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. Um, I'm just excited to chat tonight. Absolutely. And I'm super excited for this conversation as well. I think it'll be really impactful for the record for everybody watching and listening. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. I identify as bisexual. Um, and I'm really excited to get into this, this chat. Um, so just to start, how did all of you come to curling? Where did you come to curling from? And what was that like? Um, Helen, do you, do you wanna start? Sure. Um, I always played lots of sports growing up and uh, didn't know anything about curling, but my sister was involved. And so she did really well in curling and she's the one who got me started. And I was, I was about uh, 15, 16 when I started curling. All right, Karen, how did you come to curling? Uh, I was five, so I, I didn't have much of a say in it, I don't think. Um, uh, it was just kind of a random, my friend across the street was going to an open house at a curling club, at the City View Curling Club in Ottawa, um, asked if I wanted to join, his parents asked if I wanted to join, uh, so I, I went and I just, I never stopped. <laughs> it's been, uh, I don't want to age myself now, but I guess you can say it's been 31 years since I started curling. I think he quit when we were maybe 10 or 12, but I just kept on going. <laughs> 
Oh, fair, fair enough. And, and, and you definitely didn't eat yourself. Okay. And, you know, right there. <laughs> with you. Do the math. Just... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not counting. I'm, not counting. <laughs> I'm really bad at math. Curry. Perfect. Excellent. That's great. <laughs> Greg, how'd you come to curling? Um, so I have no family connection in Newfoundland. That's like every competitive curling has a family connection to curling. <laughs> Uh, but I don't. Uh, so my dad played semi-pro soccer in the 70s. I played soccer growing up, but uh, my grandfather called me uh, back in 2003. Kathy Cunningham from here was in the Scott final, but I watched the semi-final and then I watched the final. And then, you know, Newfoundlanders, we're our own breed, right? So we're <laughs> we're super patriotic. So we're like, oh, well, you know, if she can do it, you know, we should try it. So I went to an open house at the Remax Center, the St. John's Curling Club, and um and now, now I'm here. So the rest is history. But um, it's it's a great sport, and I think it's one of those sports where you try it, no matter what your connection is to it. You just want to keep doing it, no matter if it's competitive or recreational. It's it's just too much fun. It's funny to meet another person, Greg, who doesn't have a family connection, because everyone's always like, "Oh, well, your parents must have curled." Like, they started exactly. curling, you know, after I did it for about ten years, and my brothers did too. But like, it was random for me. It was just kind of. Exactly. It's true, though. It's super true. Most people come from like their families of curling for generations and stuff. So anyway. Yeah. No, we we had a a really good conversation in in one of our other podcasts about like first generation curlers and the need to kind of make sure that that we have more of them, but we also have the supports in place in our clubs to to welcome them and keep them. Right. Because for people who have kind of parental or family connection to, to curling, you may feel more welcome in the space, but for those who, who don't, it might be a little trickier to, to kind of, you know, get into a curling club and then feel, feel safe there. So that was a, an interesting conversation in our, in our um, BIPOC curlers changing the face of curling conversation. So, um, so I, I was, I'm always really interested when I meet people who are in the LGBTQ plus community in curling to know, when the sport, which has been such a safe space for me, but also a really important space for me, intersected with your journey of self-identifying, self if I can speak English, self-identity, <laughs> sexuality, like when those kind of intersected for you, but also like how the curling community reacted to you or welcomed you. Um, Karen, do you, do you want to start? Yeah. So, um, you know, I dated men in the curling world uh for a while you know when i was i was in my 20s um and then so i dated a man that i knew from curling and then i dated a woman in curling so um there wasn't necessarily a specific coming out except that all of a sudden i was dating a woman and uh, so that was you know it caused a certain amount of chatter let's say gossip through <laughs> throughout the curling community um you know this was Again, I'm going to age myself here, but it was over 10 years ago, um, you know, that this happened. And so, you know, there was gossip. Let's, you know, I mean, I think that happens no matter what. There's, it's a small community. People start dating new people and it's always going to be, there's always talk around it. But um, obviously that was uh, a bit of a surprise for a lot of people. And so there was a lot of chatter. I I honestly um, consider myself very lucky in terms of the acceptance of, um, of me into this community. Um, you know, people... I didn't really have any negative interactions from the curling community. Nobody really, at least not to my face, nobody really, uh, you know, said anything hurtful or, or anything like that. People were pretty welcoming about it. Um, you know, I did uh, play on the same team as my partner at the time, and, and we went to the Scotties together. Um, and that was, uh, 
uh, a bit of a interesting experience. Um, you know, again, 10 years ago, this was, I think people were not really sure how to approach it, whether they should kind of just not talk about it or, you know, it, it sort of still seemed a little bit of like a, a don't ask, don't tell, kind of keep it secret kind of thing. Um, you know, we had games where we were televised and the announcers kind of weren't really sure how to sort of address like, oh, these two are dating, you know, it wasn't something that was um, really talked about as easily at the time, I think, and, you know, no, no hard feelings about it, but I do think it was um, tiptoed around a little bit. It was challenging just to kind of figure out how to address it. Um, I actually had a friend, uh, now a former teammate who worked for TSN, TSN at the time, and she asked me, you know, did you tell people, did you ask them not to talk about it? Because um, no one's saying anything. I said, no, like we, we put it in our media guides. We were very open about it, but no one is talking about it. So she like took matters into her own hands and started speaking about it. And then a couple of reporters came from that. And so there were a few stories written and stuff. Um, but it was an interesting experience because it, you know, in my bubble, it's so accepted and so easy to talk about. And um, so going into an environment where it wasn't quite as open there, you know, again, there was no hostility or anything. It just uh, was sort of not discussed. It was just, people just weren't really sure what to do with it, I think. So it was a an interesting experience. It's what led me actually to, like, I volunteer now with um, You Can Play um, and the COC's uh, One Team Initiative. And so it kind of led me to that sort of volunteer work to try and make it um, easier for people and and uh, for people not to be so unsure about what to do when they have a queer curler. Uh, and things have obviously drastically changed since then. And I'm sure we'll talk a bit more about that. But um, But that was sort of my my experience with the whole coming up process within the curling community. Yeah, ab absolutely. And, and thank you for, for sharing that. I, I just wonder like, at the time yeah. you, you said you were aware of this, did you feel perhaps like treated as a bit of a taboo or when people tiptoed around that, like, was mm -hmm. that, how did that impact you then? You know, you spoke to being aware of it, but. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, you know, I think we certainly didn't want to cause a stir. We weren't, we weren't there, you know, we we're there to compete. We, this obviously wasn't, you know, our prime focus, but um, it was a little, you know, there, there was a moment we watched the recording. We were playing against Jennifer Jones at the time, I think. And, uh, you know, the announcer sort of said, oh yeah, so that's, I was Karen Sagal at the time. That's Karen Sagal and her partner. They're a couple. And it was just kind of awkward silence. And then they moved on to something else. <laughs> we all kind of had, you know, a bit of a laugh about it because, you know, I, I don't think that anybody, certainly I don't think anyone meant any harm, you know, or anything like that. But it was just, um, you know, they were trying to figure out how to manage this with maybe a viewership that may or may not be inclusive with, um, you know, viewers. They, they just didn't know, I think, what the reaction would be. And I don't know that there was necessarily thought put into it that it was premeditated or not and maybe it was just an awkward thing for for the people doing the announcing but um you know I mean we were aware of it and it was a little bit I don't know a little disheartening I suppose but mm -hmm. but we, I guess just mostly tried not to focus on it when when those reporters did show up and we did start speaking about it a bit more and there were a couple of articles written um you know everyone says don't read the comments and you of course read the comments and there are some pretty horrible comments um and but a lot of really just um why do we need to know about this? Like, who cares? Who cares who they're sleeping with? You know, like, why is this relevant? Let's focus on the curling. Um, mm. And it was kind of funny because there was literally another article right below it that was like, you know, this person's husband, who are both competitive curlers, was there watching, cheering them on. Oh, it's so great to see them and their family. You know, so like bias is showing when people don't, they don't necessarily mean to, but uh, definitely, you know, some of the comments were were pretty brutal. You kind of have to stay away from that section for sure. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and thank you for going a bit further with that. I think, you know, it's, it's really, you, you touched on a couple of really interesting things there. Firstly, the comment section and the way that now in the world of social media that, you know, we all live in and, and, you know, it's a reality for, for professional curlers, especially, but also just us as human beings um, and, and the reaction to it, you know, I think we'll, we'll probably touch on that a few times, but also, yeah, there's a celebration of family in curling often mm -hmm. yeah. um <laughs> rightly or wrongly right yeah. like you know if it's it's great when when people have kids or get married and congratulations that's fantastic that's amazing and you know, sure we should celebrate that but that's a really interesting point that you put put there of you know okay well if we're going to celebrate you know our accomplishments in our personal lives in terms of oh here is this beautiful family or this vision we have of the stereotypical family and curling mm -hmm. are we going to celebrate my family <laughs> yeah yeah, right. Exactly. You know, Curling Canada is really, I can see the difference. And mm -hmm. I, I have, you know, just more about this in one of the future um, discussions. But, you know, I can see the difference now. You can see that they're really, really making an effort um, um, to make changes and to be more inclusive of everybody and all different types of families. And, and it's wonderful to see. I mean, you still see in the comment section, yeah. <laughs> you know, every June, uh, you know, Curling Canada changes their profile picture and they do a really great job. The social media coordinator um, <laughs> does a really great job of trying to stay on top of those comments and get rid of the really offensive ones. But there's always a few, you know, who sneak in there with nasty comments. It happens still, um, mm -hmm. you know, we're in 2023, but this is still, and I, again, we'll probably talk about it later, but even I would say lately, um, it's worse than it was, honestly, um, than it was. Yeah, so. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, and you know, I, I'm from New Brunswick. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah. yes, yeah, it's worse. Um, and so I can, I can certainly relate to that. Um, and, you know, the, the point of like visibility matters. Right? And it's nice when a national organization like Curling Canada understands that and then embraces it, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, thank you for, for speaking to that. Those were some really good points. Um, Greg, when, when did your journey kind of intersect with curling for, for you and, and how did people react? Um, so I came out on Christmas Eve to my parents in 2014 and then I waited for some reason. That, why did I wait for the United States to legalize gay marriage? It was, it was legal here. But I waited till actually that day, and then I, I posted a video on my on my Facebook, and then I think my teammates in between. Shout out to the guys from Stephenville, uh, even though I was across the province, they still knew I wasn't straight. Um, but um, yeah, so I, I told them in between. But um, yeah, I never really um, had a lot of issues there with that. To be to be blatantly honest. And just to touch a little bit on on what Karen was discussing there, and uh, thank you for being so raw and being so vulnerable on that. Um, but it is such an oxymoron when people say, "Oh my God, isn't it amazing?" You know, the, curling with uh, you know wife and husband curling is so amazing, and and there's their kids and all that, and that is wonderful. But it's kind of strange then when the narrative is when they see a uh, you know a not straight couple and they say. Oh well, we don't need to know that. Like you know, who cares keep that... who they're sleeping with? Why is this relevant? <laughs> well, you know about every straight couple in curling, <laughs> and you never make that comment, right? Like it's uh, it's it's so absurd, and um, it's 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 crazy. And those conversations, like you were just saying, um, those comments on on social media, I think they're even more 
uh, exaggerated, even more, I, I would say almost frequent or disgusting now than ever for, for some reason in a more divisive world that these people feel uh, that they their argument has a little bit more weight, which really has has zero. But they some for some reason, uh, what is is the Dunning Kruger effect or whatever? Is it, <laughs> where, you know, they think there's it's something like that. They think they're smarter or something. They're not. But uh, yeah. So thanks for touching on that. But it is true. It is just a complete oxymoron there. Um, I didn't really have a lot personally with coming out with. Um, with anyone in curling I really had no issue with it you know some of them said oh we knew and I was like <laughs> did you did you see I watched RuPaul's Dray Race or something like did you did you log into my Netflix but uh I never really had an issue with that you know the only thing um actually I'm not gonna say because it it's in a it's in a further question so I'll that's my further... problem too I'm like I have stories <laughs> that <I'm related. laughs> yeah I was like okay no but I, that's later. I had no I had no issue with my teammates I had no issue with my coach uh, they just intersected at the same time as my personal life and my curling life. There was really no, um, it, it, there was really no, I, I don't know how you say, it. there was no real effects of it. There was nothing like, oh my God, Greg's, Greg's not straight. It was never, it was never like that because they just assumed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I guess, you know, my only question to that crazy thing, what people said or weren't surprised, right. When you mm -hmm. came out. Like, what was your reaction to that? Some people have very different reactions to that of, of you know, I don't really care or like. I, I don't like it, but I, I, I didn't put a lot of weight in it because I know it was malicious. Mm -hmm. um, I don't like it because it's based on stereotypes. Mm -hmm. When you say, you know, when, a, when, a, when, you know, when a, in their eyes and in, in some people's eyes, you know, when a man is more feminine and a bit more flamboyant, they're going to be like, right? And it's just like, you know, like, what a cheap shot. What a cheap shot. You know, I can run faster than you. How come you didn't think that took, like, get, why didn't that give me, like, 50 extra straight points? I don't know. Like, you know? So yeah. I just I just find it so strange that they use the whole femme and butch kind of narrative mm -hmm. to kind of say, well, this is your sexuality based on how you present or how you, how you talk or how you act. And I think that that's um, pretty archaic, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, there's people across uh, sexual orientation and and gender that it isn't it's, it it isn't that you can't pinpoint it on the map, right? There's super masculine men that are are queer, and there's super feminine men that are queer, and I'd like to consider myself somewhere in the middle there. But uh, though I guess some of them might want to put me in the more femme category, but I would like to consider myself more in the middle. And it's just so across the board, like it's just. It's a spectrum. It truly is, you know, both gender and sexual identity, you know, uh, sexual orientation. It is a spectrum and people want to put people in certain boxes so they can make sense of their own brain. But truly, that's not how, in my opinion, it should work. And I think that we should eradicate some of that. I think it's just it, it's it's kind of stupid. Coming from the other side of that, Greg, where people were very surprised on my end. Yeah. Being like, oh, but she's femme, you know, she's not wearing... Yeah plaid and her hair isn't short <laughs> you know so it's interesting being on like the other side of that where um you know I have to kind of come out very frequently because like people sort of make the assumption I'm you know straight passing let's say yeah. um and so people tend to make assumptions I often someone will say oh where's your husband you know like that's just kind of assumed um and so it sort of causes me to have to repeatedly come out <laughs> I mean I could have been 
you know, dating or married to a man. Uh, and then I, people would never ask, they would just assume. So, you know, it's kind of interesting um, kind of seeing both sides of it. It's uh, either way, it's a challenge, I guess. <laughs> no, 100%. It is it is so strange how our society just automatically defaults yeah, they someone want to, to be in big time. When I, I dated a man, like I said, and then I dated a woman. We mm -hmm. split up and uh, people were like, so who's she going to, like, it, it, was that a phase? If she dates a man, then we know it's a phase next. If she mm. dates a woman next, then she's a lesbian. Like, there's no, it can't yeah. be, like, everyone's just trying to figure out what box I fit in, you know? And yeah. I was joking about how I'm just going to show up at the curling club with, like, two people. and just, <laughs> like, mess with their heads. Just, <laughs> just to challenge it, right? And that's um, the, sorry, well, I'll be really, really quick. Um, well, we're actually a part of the 1%, according to a poll, Karen, that we're part wow. of the 1% in the whole country being pansexual. But wow. that's the whole thing about not being... Um, you know, being in our community and not being uh, gay or lesbian and being somewhere kind of in between is that people think that whatever relationship that you have at that current time is a reflection of your sexual orientation, which which isn't, uh -huh. you know, it, it really isn't. You know, I'm attracted to men, I'm attracted to women, I'm attracted uh, to people across uh, different genders and attracted to them as a person, not, you know, not their gender. Um, and that's kind of the thing is that people don't really understand that. They just assume yeah. automatically. You know, you it's know? so funny. I had this conversation. I'm sorry. I'm like, we're commenting okay. the conversation here. Um, sorry. We'll call, we'll call aftercare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can stop. We'll talk about it. Another sure. Time. Okay. Sure. <laughs> what, what, what I would say to that as well is like, you know, it, it comes back to this kind of normative thinking in terms of, of relationships and what we expect and, and the stereotype that comes into that and, and people kind of defaulting to it. You know, and one of the reasons why these conversations are really important is to try and break into that that line of thinking and break that barrier a little. Um, and, and, you know, similar to, to when our, our kind of lives intersect and, and kind of break the barrier into sport. Um, and, and kind of on that, you know, Helen, how, how did how did your, your your journey kind of interact with with curling eventually? Well, I think for me, it, I, I'm 55, so social media, uh, you know, 30 years ago was not was non-existent. So, um, you know, there's no comment section or something to that effect. So, um, and it really, I'm a little bit more of a private person, and so I wouldn't necessarily just come out and, you know, hey, I got something to tell you. you know, <laughs> You get to know people and then you find out, you know, who's your partner and um, like Karen, I get that too, you know, and it, you know, is your husband on the account and no, you know, <laughs> so sometimes it's just more of a correction I find than anything else. And I really haven't had any negative, um, negative stories to tell about it because it's been more of just sort of who I'm around and nobody has had any issue with it whatsoever and um, so I found the curling community was quite open and um, easy about it like it was a non-question it was it was more like talk about your partner as opposed to who is your partner you know mm -hmm. um, like for instance I had my daughter through IVF which is a whole different um, you know way of having kids and um, yeah, it, no issue whatsoever. My issue was actually teaching. I was a teacher at the time and dealing with the school board and things like that. So for me, it was never an issue in sport. Yeah, so 
You know, thank you, Helen. And, and for those who who may not know, do, do you want to just explain the 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 acronym firstly you used, but also what that means just generally in terms of having kids? Some some people may not know, or some some people may not have understood. Sure. So yes, this world is made of a million acronyms. So that <laughs> is in vitro fertilization. So when two women are together, it's not possible to have a child. So um, we need science to help out a little bit. And uh, yeah, so that's how I conceived my child. And, and I would say pretty much anybody who knows me has met my daughter somewhere along the way. So yeah, she, she goes, she's traveled with me everywhere and uh, she gets tired of hearing, oh, you're so big now. Oh, you've grown up so much. So, and I like that. I like that everybody kind of knows her and it's, it's a non-issue and, you know, and she's, she's proud that I work in curling and, and knows that everyone in curling is very friendly towards me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and thank you for that. Just, you know, I always try to take that moment to educate people a little more if they may not have heard or, or, or known. So thank you um, for shedding some, some light on that for folks. And I think it's really great, Karen, to have you and, and Greg here as well to shine lights on different parts of, of, of the queer community more broadly um, because some people may think of it and just go, are they gay or are they not? But, uh, you know, there's, there's the spectrum. Yeah. Done. <laughs> right. And it's like, well, no, there's, there's a number of other letters there for a reason. <laughs> That's um, why we have such a long acronym. There's so many of us all doing different things. There's, there's a lot of different elements of the community. <laughs> um, and, and so I'm really glad we're, we're able to get your, your perspectives. And so, you know, on your perspectives and your experiences, which of course, like, as, as you said, you all have so many stories and, and so many things to kind of learn from and share with us. I just wanted to have, have you all share you know, two experiences in, in curling, you know, one that perhaps empowered or, or inspired you, and then one that may have disappointed you in whichever order you want to share them. Um, Helen, did you, did you want to start? Sure. I have a feeling my stories will be shorter than the other two. <laughs> We're chatterboxes. Sorry, Helen. <laughs> I think it, I think it's great. I think it's great. Um, I think for me in curling, uh, like it's been a very positive experience, and um, I, I didn't intend to kind of. I still curl, but I didn't intend to kind of go down the coaching path or even work in curling in my career. But um, Jerry Peckham, a mentor of mine who's been with Curling Canada a very very long time. Um, he's just all about relationships and getting to know people and, and getting the best out of you. And, you know, he would ask me questions and we would have conversations and, you know, we're in different, very different parts of our lives, but, you know, here was somebody who I looked up to as the director of high performance for curling Canada, wanting to know about me, you know, and wanting to make sure that it's important, like make sure there's balance in your life, make sure, you know, family time is important and talk about family. And he's become a very, very good friend of mine over the years. And, you know, when I, when I look back, he's probably the main reason why I work with Curling Canada is because the leadership was so inclusive and, um, and understanding and, and interested, you know, to, to follow your passion and, and to get to know people on a, on a different level. So, you know, I feel like I know him that way too. So I think, you know, being vulnerable and having somebody who um, you wouldn't anticipate 
um, or think in your life is drawing things out of you. And then you create this great, you know, working and personal relationship with them. I think that's really powerful. So I think for me, um, it's always been easy to talk about my private life with whomever I'm talking with. I, you know, it's, it's an open conversation. I don't usually lead with anything. Um, but I'm always open to have a conversation about anything. Um, the, the disappointments, I have to say, I really, I can't think of any real disappointments. I live in Halifax, which is a very, um, what I find to be an inclusive city. Um, so it's kind of anything goes and you just, you know, but I also have that personality too, where, um, I can, you know, have conversations in lots of different groups of people and, you know, I don't typically, uh, I'm not the first one who's going to wave the flag or stand at the front of the parade or, you know, go to the legislature or things like that. I think we all have different, you know, we show leadership through different ways. I think mine mm -hmm. is more through action, um, uh, as opposed to, you know, being front and center. I'm, I'm more the behind the scenes kind of person who does some work. So I haven't seen any, like, I have to say, you know, Greg has shared some things on social media, things that have happened to him outside of curling. And like, it breaks my heart. Like I, that kind of stuff really affects me because, you know, I know what an amazing young man he is. And I hate that, you know, there are people that have treated him so poorly and, you know, mama bear kind of like, I, kind of want to step in and and do something about it so um for me i would do it more in a quiet like private personal way yeah and and i think it's important to to recognize you know some of some of us are much more are bold in our action and in public interaction and and that's perfectly valid and, and powerful in its own right but also that behind the scenes action can be can be very you know important significant in its own right and i think you know uh, Helen, to your credit, you know, there are a lot of young curlers who've come through junior curling and curling Canada and not just next gen, but the whole system. You know, I've spoken to many of them in this podcast series who are going on to do amazing things in their personal life, not just their curling life. Um, and particularly young members of the LGBTQ community who are coming through curling. And so, you know, I, I had a bit of a conversation with, with Darren Allen on this, and, and I may be wondering what, what your thought would be is, you know, for coaches who may be trying to empower youth that they're working with or trying to be kind of the best ally or mentor for them, are there any tips or, that you would have or, or suggestions or lessons you would have for them to maybe be aware that, you know, you might have someone on your team who you know, is on a journey of their own self-identity and struggling and maybe some ways of, of how to help them as, as a person, but also in, in that role. Yeah, well, I actually work um, on a committee for the transgender and non-binary inclusion policy. So I've worked um, on that committee and, and basically we work on three pillars. So we work on safety, fairness, and inclusion. And so I would say, you know, for any coaches out there, um, those three pillars should be for everybody, you know, mm -hmm. safety, fairness, and inclusion. And it's so true. Like the, even my daughter, you know, she'll come home from school and share stories about, you know, so-and-so identifies this way. And then the next week, 
so-and-so identifies that way. And, you know, they're, I hear personal stories just through, through young kids and I, and I do see it in curling too. And I think the key is just keep having conversations, keep them talking. You don't have to ask them any direct questions, but just make them feel comfortable and safe. And, you know, at some point in time, they might end up sharing a little bit more about their story and try not to make judgments of like girlfriend, boyfriend, um, leave it more open-ended, you know, just, you know, who do you enjoy spending time with? A question like that would be better than, do you have a girlfriend? Do you have a boyfriend? And just, you know, as the coach showing that you're open to any type of conversation, um, you don't know where it's going to go. And you also don't know how that young person's feeling inside. They might not feel comfortable. They might not feel safe. They might not feel vulnerable. And then there's that whole trust piece. Mm -hmm. Because if somebody shares really personal information with you and then you tell somebody else and that gets out they'll never speak to you like you've you've ruined sort of that trust that trust bond um and i've had a number of coaches call me to say confidentially mm-hmm. obviously and say i have an athlete who is really questioning um where they identify and um you know what do i do and i'll say let them follow their own journey because in our events um, we let them self-identify. So we're not going to ask anybody any questions. So if somebody wants to enter a U18 provincial competition on the male side, great. We're not going to ask any questions, but that's where you're choosing to play with your teammates there. Go for it. So as a coach, just leave that open-ended and in competition, it's hard because there is a male side and there is a female side. So at some point in time, when you get into competition, for instance, like our U21, you, it goes to a world event. So we don't we don't control the, the rules at the world level. But for us at Curling Canada, any event that we have, we want them to, to feel comfortable to to enter the the event that they that they feel most the most comfortable and their teammates obviously need to Mm -hmm. understand that's where their comfort is as an athlete and the coach and so if you can kind of wrap your arms around them and say we've got you it's a wherever you know wherever you're the most comfortable we we love you we want you part of our sport let's figure this out together no and and thank you for for speaking to that Helen I think that was really really insightful I'm you know, and, and, and there's something to be said about taking a kind of more empathetic, open-ended listening approach to, you know, interacting with folks in, in the queer community more broadly, but specifically from that coaching lens of, of being an advocate, but also understanding that that person's journey is happening on their own time and in their own way, and you can support them, not push them, Right. And just being aware of that, because that can happen in small ways. Um, and it's also a credit to, to, to Curling Canada, to some degree, to what you were speaking to there at the end. You know, that empathetic approach to trans and non-binary youth in particular in sports is much more rare than we would like to admit it is. Um, and so just being aware of that as, as we kind of move through that conversation is really, really important, you know, credit to, to you, but also the others at Curling Canada who have allowed that to, to be the way that that has operated and will continue to do so. So, so 
thank you, <laughs> firstly, um, and, and a credit to, to the organization. Um, you did mention how you have reacted or seen some of Greg's experiences that he's shared very bravely on, on his platforms and social media. I think many people have seen them. I've seen plenty of them, but I've, I've known Greg for a long time. So they've impacted me that way. So, so Greg, did you want to speak to, to your experiences? Yeah, I'll start with the, the good note. Um, I think the symposium last year was amazing. I think that I, like across the board, you know, in DEI, that was amazing that Curling Canada was a leader in sports in this country in doing that. And um, it was amazing. It was it was soul-stirring. It was in, informative. Uh, it was raw. And I think that was amazing. It was an amazing time in Niagara Falls. Um, I think another really good part, and then I'll go into the, into the all, only really negative curling part I have, but they're in the same story. So the really good part was uh, for me uh, being out as a curler was uh, with my friend John Epping at the Briar in 2021, and um, we knew that it was a it was a very important game, and obviously that people coming up younger than us would see this, and uh, it would be a big moment. So we you know we held the the pride flag, and it was a good game, and I only curled 65 percent, but we're not going to talk <laughs> about that. Um, but no, it was, it was a really, it was a really good moment, uh, with a good friend. And, uh, I was so grateful that we had that opportunity and that platform to do that and to talk to the media and that afterwards, uh, to kind of go into on the same lens there, that it was really wonderful. And it was great. I'm going to go into the same lens. And when, it, when it really wasn't, it was, um, the, the really negative comments online and a hundred percent as Karen alluded to earlier, everyone says, don't look at them. But like, you know, you do, you right? <laughs> you cannot, right? Um, so whatever I post, and sometimes I post about um, political issues and I'm like, okay, I'm ready. I just had a coffee. So whatever it is, I'm ready to look at the comments. So everyone says, don't do it, Greg. And I'm like, that's okay. That's okay. I'm good. Um, so I looked at the comments and um, just like was was floored. Um, the, ki the kind of crazy part is... When we talk about our country at this moment, I think that we're more divided than ever in the saddest way. You know, we're coming so far, we're making a lot of strides and a lot of progress, but we're getting really divided and people who have very hateful views are feeling franchised with those and they're connecting with other people in those kind of groups, which is um, absurd in 2023. But uh, some of them, you know, hit a little bit of a, a core to me. Um, when they started throwing the Bible at me and not a lot of people know, but I'm actually a person of faith and I'm a Christian and a fun fact, when I graduated high school, it didn't happen, but I was going to be a Baptist pastor. I know crazy. <laughs> uh, you would never, you would never think this right now, but I was going to be. So when I saw, you know, that thrown at me as uh, for being a, a queer man, I was just like, and I had to kind of work through that myself, my whole, my whole life. And I'm, you know, luckily for me, I have a very, uh, accepting and opening uh, open church family and they're, they're they're lovely but to kind of see that thrown at me was kind of like going back into a part of my life that was really dark uh, so that was really really hard and also it, seeing that you know it, it wasn't even just that either it was obviously there was a the level of using someone's faith as a weapon uh, but there was also people using 
the narrative that by being a queer man that you're less of a man. So it was, you know, or the other lens that uh, Karen was talking about when you were at the Scotties was, do we need to know this? Like, do we do like, you know, that was actually probably the nicest one was that do we need to know this, mm-hmm. right? The other ones were just so brutal and just so vile. So those were really, that's the only really negative thing that I have um, from curling, but it never came from curlers. I mean, maybe behind my back, I said before in an interview, I said, maybe, you know, someone was like, I can't believe I lost to that queen, but I never heard <laughs> it. You know, I never heard it, but I'm sure they might've thought it, right? How do we lose to someone with that delivery who watches RuPaul's Drag Race all the time, right? You know, like maybe they thought that, but uh, I might've been underestimated, but never anything to my face from curlers just those kind of social media things. Um, as Helen said, and uh, I, I got this on my own. You don't need to fly out and take care of me, but I appreciate it so much. Um, but uh, yeah, I've had some outside of curling. I've had some really, truly awful experiences. And see, my mother isn't going to watch this uh, because my mother isn't very tech savvy. Uh, even when I was in Calgary and I didn't even tell a ton of people in my network, I was heading back to my hotel and I went down a street that was the wrong street. So this is like two weeks ago. And I had, you can rent these scooters in different cities. And a group of guys came up to me in their early 20s. And uh, I was just walking, trying to navigate back to my hotel. And I was on a street of a commercial district there, not my hotel street, but there was nothing open. So I had like no resources, anybody whatsoever. And these guys said, you know, gay is being a choice. Sorry, being gay is a choice. I was like... You know, I just turned my phone. I didn't even utter any words because I was, you know, I was just like, what, what is going on? Then they came back probably about a foot or two away from me on the scooters, a group of five guys, early 20s, and um, said the F word and not the one that ends in a K. Uh, so they said that to me a few times and uh, some other disgusting things. And they kind of circled the block. So I had to actually call 911 on my vacation for the police to come and pick me up so I could get an escort back to my hotel because I thought I was going to get the crap beat out of me. So that was two weeks ago and that's 2023, but there's a plethora of experiences that I've had for just existing. St. John's is luckily a very colorful city as anyone knows, but I've experienced a ton of hate here from uh, one time physical and had my jaw broken for existing. And then times where then people just said things to me that were just vile. So, you know, we, and that's my mother calling now. So I'm not going to tell her this. I don't want to upset her. Sorry, mom. But, uh, but it, it is truly the last point I have on this is it is not a utopia for queer people, no matter. And I know that my experiences are as a, um, as a cis white male. So I can only imagine uh, people in our, in you know, our gender diverse and trans communities, what they're facing and what they face every single day. Um, because it is absolutely vile. And for the people that think, oh, well, you know why are you waving your flag around come June month? Well, it is because that our lives are still at risk. It's because that our existence, no matter who we are in the community, is is questioned and people don't think it's valid. Uh, it's because they think it's a choice. It's We still have so much work to go. And sadly, sometimes I really feel like there's parts of our country and parts of our world that are stepping back. Uh, New Brunswick, your home, uh, Will, it's so disgusting what's happening there. And, you know, kudos to anybody, um, you know, that voted against that. I think it, it's 
just absurd that that's even happening in this country. But you don't have to look further than the United States either. So even in countries that are supposed to be leaders for human rights, we are really getting failed. Like we're getting a big F and it's, um, it's, a, it's a travesty. And I think that there's so much work to go. That's why, you know, standing up for us and us standing up and being visible is more important now than ever before. Yeah. And, and absolutely. And, and thank you for, for speaking to that. And, and, and for, as you put it earlier, being raw in, in that way, Greg, I, I think it's, re- it's really important, but also impactful and powerful for people to hear that reality in, in your lived experience. Um, for those who may not have seen it when, when these things have happened, because you have been very open about it on social media to your, to your credit and very powerfully. So, um, and, and I think, you know, one of the things we have to, to learn from this as well is that um, what you and John did and what you do and what John does regularly and, and a number of us have done in terms of visibility from those vile experiences, you understand the power that that small gesture may have for a young person or an older person somewhere who is struggling with who they are, may face harm for who they are, or may be in an incredibly dark place. And the only thing they have is the sport they love. And then they see someone that they can identify with in the sport they love, openly talking about who and why they love, right? And that message can be unbelievably powerful for people, right? Because it cracks that mirror of loneliness, of fear, of division, to show someone that there is a pathway where you can be true to who you are in a safe and loving environment. For many who, as you rightly said, Greg, due to privilege or other things, may not have that position in their life. And so, you know, the moments like that, that, that you and John shared, but also with some of the, the activism that you've done on social media as well, is truly important for exactly that reason. And, and that's why, you know, as I think you articulated at the beginning as well, is, you know, it's really disappointing when people question why that matters, right? As we said earlier, we'll talk about a cisgender heterosexual family and celebrate it. But the moment we talk about other types of families or our own, suddenly that's wrong. And we're suddenly pressing something upon someone. It's an agenda. Yeah. No, it's not an agenda. It's who they are and who they love. And just because that's different to you doesn't mean you get to treat them differently, right? And so so thank you for speaking to that. And I think that's that's really important. And I think as Helen said earlier, you know, anytime we see these things happening in, in real time in your life and when you share them, it, it does strike a really personal chord. I feel that pain. You know, I live in Ottawa and I, I've seen everything happening in my home province of New Brunswick. And it has been an incredibly emotionally exhausting time. An unbelievably emotionally exhausting time. And and for those who may not know the situation, I won't get into it here, but I encourage you to do your research on on what's been going on in New Brunswick with with an issue called Policy 713. And I I would highly recommend you you look into that. Um, Karen, Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, uh, transitioning from that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I also would say that like my experiences within the curling community have been generally very positive ones and, you know, finding um, really disappointing experiences. Thankfully, there weren't a ton to choose from. Um, you know, I do think it's important, you know, what Greg was mentioning there, like our experiences, I mean, I don't know all of you on the call all that well, but um you know, I'll speak for myself, like, again, I'm a cis white person, again, I'm straight passing, you know, so um, my experiences are not the experience of, uh, of a person of color, of an indigenous person, of a trans person, like all of these other experiences um, that are so valid and so important. And, and you know, kudos to you for guys for putting this, this call together. Um, but you can kind of see there's four, at least white, as far as I can tell, white faces on this call, right? Uh, four cis faces on this call. Um, and, you know, that in itself is is a little bit telling that we don't have a lot of those voices um, participating in things like this, and, and we need to continue to work on that. So that's, you know, a little bit of a caveat to say that, yes, we're, a lot of us here are saying, you know, we have great experiences in curling, and and but we don't know what those other experiences are, because we're not hearing them as much. So that's, I think, an important thing that we need to um, keep in mind going forward. But um, all that to say, yeah, my, my experiences have been pretty positive. I, you know, I kind of go back to that um, for Scotty's experience as uh, as sort of a big one because it was kind of the first time I was sort of you know I'm far from a from a professional curler these days and um, that was kind of the first time I had any kind of spotlight on me um, and especially one where I was speaking about my private life um, uh, you know like Helen mentioned I'm not exactly a person who was outwardly talking about my personal life all that much at the time. Um, you know, I was dating a woman. That was it. There was not really, I wasn't having conversations with people about that or really speaking very um, candidly about how I identified or anything like that. So it was sort of the first experience I had in that. Um, and so one particular piece stands out, which is um, at the end of the Scotties, you know, there's always a montage of all the shots through it. Um, the focus of that year's montage was relationships at the Scotties. Um, there were people who were cousins on different teams. There were coaches who were parents. There were, you know, people in the audience who were watching their partners. Um, there was nothing about two people who were living together in a five-year relationship playing on the same team. Um, and again, you know, I don't know if there was thought put into it or not. And I, I don't, you know, it is what it is at the time. It was um, the way things were, I guess. Um, but it was interesting. And, you know, I noticed it and I didn't want to be the one to say anything. I kind of just left it. And uh, actually someone else, um, a guy named Simon, who some of you probably know, um, posted something on his Facebook saying, does anyone else find it strange that there's like a couple on a team and there was a whole thing on relationships with the Scotties and they weren't mentioned? Like, isn't that weird? <laughs> um, and, you know, I actually found that as much as that's kind of my example of disappointment, it also was great for someone else to notice it and point it out. Um, you know, we're going to talk a little bit more about what allies can do and stuff. But one of the big things is like, we don't always want to be waving the flag. We don't always want to be fighting for this. You know, it is, like you said, it is exhausting right now. The world feels like it's going backwards. It feels like our rights are more at risk um, than ever. And it's exhausting. And it's great when someone who is not part of the community, but who's an ally voices that for us. And we don't constantly have to be the one saying something. So, you know, it was, it was a disappointing situation. Um, and again, I think that times have changed pretty significantly, but um, 
I think it was kind of the first time that the folks at TSN and Curling Canada who do great things now, I just want to say that I don't mean to be like, you know, getting anyone in trouble or anything, but uh, I think people just didn't really know what to do with it at the time. And so, um, so that was, you know, it was a bit, it was tough. Definitely. It was, it, it made me feel a little bit like, is it like, should I be keeping this more secret? Like, you know, we're not talking about this. Don't ask, don't tell. It just, it felt really like, why is this, why does this have to be kind of hidden away when all these other relationships are being highlighted? So um, that was, I think, uh, probably the most disappointing experience in curling. Like Greg, although not to the same extent, I've had some negative experiences outside of the curling community, but for the most part, um, my life in curling has been has been really um, inclusive. Um, in terms of really positive experience, Greg, I was really glad to hear you say that the game between you and John um, was a highlight for you, because that's actually what I wanted to say, was that, um, I think, I don't know, what year was that? Was that 20, 2021? 2021. So that was five years after um, my first Scotty's appearance. And um, I remember that game and I remember thinking, wow, look how far Curling Canada and TSN and everybody involved in this community has come. Like we were playing on the same team and they were like, oh God, what do we say about this? And like, let's just not talk about it. We'll just let it go. And then here you two are playing in this game, you know, spotlight, pride flags, like interviews, like it was, it was celebrated. Um, and actually I think it was maybe that same year, but John was playing at the Briar and um, his partner was there watching him and they you know, sometimes they see people in the audience, they put the camera on them, they put a little thing underneath it. And they said, I can't remember if they were married at the time, but like John's husband or John's partner um, on the screen. And I remember seeing that and thinking, oh, like, yes, like it's happened, you know, it's finally changed. Um, and, you know, I don't know when that shift happened exactly. And I think Curling Hand is doing a really good job at trying to get there and, and they've made a ton of progress. Um, but that was five years after that first Scotty's experience, which was, you know, so kind of awkward and weird and hushed. Um, and then here they were like shining the spotlight on this amazing moment between the two of you. And that for me was really, it wasn't my experience. So I'm glad that you said it. I don't want to be like stealing your stories, but um, for me, that was such a positive thing to see that like progress had been made um, and things were actually happening. You know, a lot of organizations throw the pride flag on their you know, marketing or whatever and say, hey, look, we're pride inclusive. Um, but Curling Canada and TSN and whoever else um, had done something. It was different. It was highlighting um, non-straight folks in the in the sport world. Um, and that was a really big difference to me. I, I, that actually really meant a lot to me. So I know we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, seeing people in these, um, why it's important to see queer folks in the sport community, but that is a perfect example. Even as a person, you know, I'm, I was like 30 at the time, you know, I'm very comfortable with who I am and what I do. But even then I saw that and was like, oh, that it's so great that this change has happened and that Curling Canada and TSN have done this, you know, it, it was uh, pretty meaningful for me. So thank you for being there for that, Greg. <laughs> yeah, and it, absolutely. And, and I think there's something really important you said there, there, Karen, of like, all of us would wish nothing more than not to be activists. Yeah, I don't want, I don't want to be constantly having to fight for this. Right? You know? I like, don't want to. <laughs> this, like every time, every pride, we're filming this during pride month, <laughs> right? And every time pride comes along, out come the comments of uh, it's, it's indoctrination and sh shoving it down our, our faces. And well, it's propaganda. So, well, mm -hmm. no, it's a very <laughs> simple equation. If you are not, open and out and out there being visible and being heard it is easier to be forgotten and when it's easier to be forgotten it's more reticent for politicians and others to commit harm 
And that's something we've seen recently quite a bit. Again, we've yeah. spoken to some of it in different ways. And so next time you think about seeing that visibility, whether it's a company's logo or a pride post or a pride parade, and you ask yourself the question of why is this important? Maybe think about that a little and think, well, if we didn't have visibility during Pride Month outside of Pride Month, but if we didn't make those efforts to be more inclusive to the LGBTQ plus community, where would our rights be, right? They certainly didn't come out of by a lot of people just sitting around waiting. They came from decades of advocacy and harm and pain. And for the record, largely from people of color within the community, mm -hmm. for the record, <laughs> right? Trans women of color too. Particularly, right? And so it's important that we acknowledge that. And I think, you know, sometimes people also forget that Pride Month is also a historical recognition of that fight. It's not just, all right, everybody, dig out your flag, Let's put it on the balcony. Um, so, so I just wanted to take a second to recognize that. And that leads into, as you alluded, Karen, our next question, which is, why is it important for, for the curling community to take steps to be more inclusive of to SLGBTQIA plus folks. Helen, did you want to start this one? Sure. I, I think, you know, for all of us, diversity is good for all of us. And it's healthy for, you know, I, I heard, um, I've heard a couple of different speakers say, wouldn't it be nice if a curling club looked like the shopping mall? You know, you open the door, and it's just everybody. It's public is welcome. Everybody's there. Some people are with family. Some people are with friends. Um, you know, doesn't matter how you self-identify. Doesn't matter what culture you're from. It doesn't matter. You you can go to the shopping mall. So wouldn't it be great for the curling club doors to be like that, where just you're welcome. Everybody's here, and we want to see everybody there because that's how we all learn and become more empathetic and compassionate for others is by hearing their stories and networking and getting to know them better. And so I think, you know, one of the things with curling is, um, you know, it's called a, you have to have a membership or it's a curling club. And, you know, is that something, can I just go in there and try it? So I think curling clubs are, are really trying hard to, um, you know, right now they're in a real financial struggle for a lot of different reasons so they've got to make it work but they also want they're trying to make it as welcoming as possible too and I think um, you know for a lot of things policy is a driver and so different curling clubs have different policies and so you're going to have some that are more welcoming than others but it really only takes one person to kind of start that conversation and keep that going and so, you know, if any curling club in Canada is wondering what to do, curling Canada's, you know, feedback to them is we have a policy, you know, here's the transgender non-binary inclusion policy. If you're not sure what to do, here it is. So it talks about the competitive side. It talks about the recreational side. And for all of it, it's about safety, fairness, and inclusion, all of it. So you're not going to hear one person from curling Canada say, Mm, the rules are different you know they're not different it's the same doesn't matter if you're in a recreational league or a competitive league it should be the same everybody should be treated equally yeah absolutely and it, i think it's 
you know, what you said there to, to policy being a driver is, is really important, right? It's, it's the vehicle which moves us forward, but also the one that protects us when things come back, right? And that's why we see such reaction when policy has changed or what have you, but also a reason for policy to be made in your club or in your facilities or in your communities and, and adapted to, to what you can see, whether it's from Curling Canada or, or, or elsewhere, right? It's, um, you know, one of the elements in, in my All Heart Curling Award plan that I had done with the Capital Winter Club in Fredericton was talking about well, why don't you have a board member who's a member of the LGBTQ plus community? Why don't you have a sticker on your door? Which may seem like a very small thing, certainly is a very cheap action to take, but may be the thing that makes someone welcome from that community when they may have seen, as you said, well, that's a club. I don't know. But if they walk through your door, they might see a vibrant and loving and welcoming community that they may never access if you didn't have that on your door, right? Or the drag shows down the street at the bar. Why not have it at your club? <laughs> Why not? Why not? Right? And like these questions, and, and I was at the, the symposium for the Business of Curling Symposium in Sackville and someone asked a question about youth in this case, but welcoming other communities into their curling club. And they were struggling getting youth into the club, but also queer community and, and, and other folks. And I said, well, have you asked them why they're not there, right? And, and that's always, that's, that's crucial. So um, Karen, what, what do you think, why, why is it important for, for us to work to include LGBTQ plus folks more? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we've all seen, at least on my social media, there's always stories of like these heartwarming stories of kids seeing themselves represented in some sort of industry, whether it's sports or entertainment or politics or whatever job, um, you know, and, and when people see themselves represented in something, it starts to make them feel a bit more safe, that it's a safe community that they can, you know, be themselves in. Um, and seeing that diversity, seeing that representation um, in the sport is, I think, like you said, you know, we can talk all we want about how can we get people into these into the clubs and things like that but realistically you know if you are a person of color and you walk into a curling club and every single person is white and every photo on the wall is of a white person you know it may or may not feel like a super welcoming space your interactions um in areas like this may not have always been positive it's the same thing when we talk about the queer community if you you know walk in there's no you know, in an, in a new environment, if I don't see anything that sort of gives me an indication that this is going to be a safe space, I, I, I might have my guard up a little bit more, you know, um, and rightly or wrongly in some, you know, smaller communities where there's often, um, you know, where we need more curlers, uh, you know, there, there sometimes isn't as much acceptance. So, you know, in, in certain environments, if there's not, like you said, a rainbow stick around the door, it's such a simple thing. And, you know, there's a lot of talk, especially at Pride Month about, you know, companies rainbow washing their stuff and, um, and how, you know, that's not enough. You can't just put a rainbow sticker on your door or whatever. And that's true. You have to do more than that. Absolutely. But something as simple as that, even just changing your logo, you know, during Pride Month, that at least tells me that you are wanting to do something about it. Assuming you're not just doing it to make money off of the community, that's a whole different thing. But, you know, at least if you've got a sticker on your door, if you've changed your logo, at least that tells me like, okay, we're, we're, we're attempting. We know we're going to get some social media comments that are going to be negative, but we're going to do it anyway because it's important that we start to show people that we are accepting. So, um, you know, I, I think there are small things that can be done to make sure that people are 
feel welcome. Like you said, something as simple as a rainbow sticker on the door tells me at least when I walk into a place that somebody in here is making an effort to tell me that, I can, that I'm safe here. Um, whether or not that's true, that's a whole different conversation. And obviously there needs to be more than just a rainbow sticker on the door, but it's a start. It's something. And I just think it's important, you know, we talk about needing to see that um, diversity in our sport and it, it starts with the kids. It starts with the young, it starts with the new curlers coming in. We can't, you know, snap our fingers and all of a sudden have competitive curlers, you know, from, from all different backgrounds, unfortunately, as great as that would be. Um, so we have to start with the people who are just coming to curling and, and making mm. sure that that there's a difference in that group of people that is, is starting, that everybody feels welcome and that we can welcome, you know, new people into this, into this environment that we love so much. Absolutely. Very, very well said, Karen. Thank, thank you. Greg, why, why is it important? I agree so much with uh, what was said previously, and especially on the on the sticker. So um, I think I talked about it at the symposium last year, but the, the Child Youth Advocate of Newfoundland Labrador um, on schools and public facilities and recreational buildings, they have uh, a rainbow a rainbow flag on the sides and the middle it says everyone is welcome and included here. And uh, I called them is like, and I said, we need them. So I think there's a hundred at Ballyhaley, even though, there's no curling at Ballyhaley anymore, but I hope they still kept them up or they still got them somewhere. Um, but uh, we put them up, we put up the resources, we printed off what was from Curling Canada on DEI, um, which if you have a curling club, if you're running it or if you're running the junior program, you need to look at it ASAP. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's so important because if we want people to stay with this sport, 100% what Karen said. They need to see themselves represented. You know, uh, for me in a different lens, I come from a, a, you know, a more underprivileged socioeconomic background and I was the, the poor kid in the country club. So I felt like, you know, I, I stuck out there. However, luckily there was a little bit of talent, so I stuck with it. Um, but, you know, the same thing for like the, for the queer kid, you know, the same thing um, for someone of a different ethnicity or gender identity by not seeing somebody like yourself there and you feel like you are way out of place and there is nothing that makes you feel welcome it is a really tough time a entering the door but it's a really tough time going back into that door again so um you know i think that's it's super important because if we want to grow our sport first of all i think we need to address the awkward which is you know we might have a little bit of a demographic issue with curling uh, and our numbers, I don't think, Helen, you can you can get mad at me if I'm wrong. I hope I'm right, what I'm saying, but I hope I'm wrong in the same breath. I don't think our numbers are what they were in the 80s for curling. I don't think that we have as many curlers, and I think, as we did before. So we need to be inclusive, not even just on the lens of that it's the right thing to do, but if we want our sport to grow, we need to be. Um, so it's it's kind of it's kind of imperative that we need to have more people in our clubs. Um, and I think, you know, the other part of it too is it can't be like Karen said earlier, it can't be and like yourself. Well, we don't want to be here complaining all the time. We get no joy out of this. We really, we really don't. We want a, our problems to start ending, um, but truly, we want to have people who are allies that are speaking up for us. And um, that is kind of the lens of this, too. I think 
I could be wrong, but I think there was a little bit of allyship in the question. Could be wrong, but they need to be more vocal. It can't be just token and posting a picture, which is wonderful, and it is. It is so good, but um, you know, you need to eradicate the locker room talk. You know, you need to eradicate um, somebody commenting commenting on um, someone's femininity or someone's masculinity or whatever along those lines i mean we're looking at this in a very queer lens but whatever it is you know anything that is intolerant needs to stop so allyship isn't just for our community it's for all communities and all minorities so i think you know clubs what they can do is it can be very simple um but it can get people in the doors it can make people feel safe and um truly it is not it's the right thing to do, don't get me wrong, but we need curling to grow. Its viewership is growing, but we need people, especially in the grassroots levels of the sport, to grow. And that means that we need to become less white, less straight, and less cis. And uh, truly, that's the only way that we have to go because that is what Canada looks like. And like Helen said, our shopping malls don't necessarily look like our curling clubs. So, you know, and, and the good part of this, too, I bowl as well. I'm sorry, I'm rambling now. Okay. Uh, <laughs> It's so late here, right? It's 8.30. Um, but um, I, I bowl as well, and I'm a competitive bowler. And if we have a Democrat, Demo, Democratic, <laughs> we have that too. Uh, we have a demographic issue, but other sports are not having these discussions. And I, I bowl five pin, and the numbers are going down across the board. They're getting less TV coverage. And they're not having these really important, impactful conversations that we're having. And uh, I think that, you know, it's it's just amazing that we are. You know, it's 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 important to address the outward and anything in our society and anything in our lives. And I'm glad that Curling Canada is doing so. And I'm glad, uh, well, that you're spearheading this because the only way that we can make change is actually discuss what the issue is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you for transitioning us into the allyship question of what does what does allyship mean and how can people be better allies? It's okay, Greg, it was a good segue. Um, so, uh, Karen, you know, what, what does what does allyship mean to you and, and how can curlers be, be better allies to the community? Yeah, I mean, I think we've kind of said it a couple of times already, but, um, you know, we are tired, <laughs> to be completely honest. You know, Pride Month came around. I own a small business as well. And so, you know, all the small businesses start posting, oh, it's Pride Month. Here's that, you know. Um, and quite honestly, I found it exhausting this year because the number of hateful comments that come from those positive posts um, are now kind of overshadowing it for me. Um, it's kind of upsetting that the month that's supposed to be about celebrating Pride is actually making me feel worse than, than the rest of it. I'm kind of like, I hope, I'm excited for it to be over because I'm tired of all this, the fighting and the comments and the negativity, um, which is the complete opposite of what we're supposed to be seeing in June. So, um, you know, I, I um, was chatting with a friend of mine, her and her wife and their daughter were planning a trip to Florida to go to Disneyland, Disney World. I'm not sure which one it is. Um, and we're canceling their trip because it's just not a safe place to go right now. Um, and she was mentioning it to her family and her family's like, what are you talking about? It won't be that bad. Because if you're not in the community, you may not, you know, I know my social media, we all know our social media becomes kind of an extension of our community. It's our own bubble. And so the things you click on are the things you see over and over again. Um, my social media right now, I, you know, I'm, I'm toying with the idea of 
closing it entirely um, because every single day I'm reading negative things. You know, mm -hmm. uh, today it was that there was a U.S. Mexico soccer game that had to be ended early because of homophobic chants. Um, there's the stuff going on in New Brunswick. There was something about a young athlete out west who some old guy was saying this must be a trans person. Like it's just every single day there's there's some a negative story and it's I'm finding it exhausting. Um, you know, my wife and I have a daughter who's 15 months old and. Until this year, I would say we were we were talking with our community, like how great is it that you know our kids are going to grow up in this, you know, kind of new generation where people are so much more accepting and things are are great and improving all the time. Um, and this year, I would say that has been I and my feeling is that it's been walked back. Now we're starting to have conversations about, um, you know, the anxiety we have about about raising a kid in this in this world right now. Um, you know, last June we had a a little party or barbecue, a pride barbecue at our house. We had a pride flag on the door. I didn't put one up this year because, you know, a couple neighborhoods away, um, somebody had a pride flag ripped down and torn to shreds and like burned a little bit and left on their driveway. So, you know, it's, it feels like things have shifted. Um, a lot of that, you know, started in the States and has been, has been coming up. And if you are not in the community, um, you may not be as aware of it as we are. You might not be reading about it as often as we are hearing all the stories, but but we are, and it is exhausting and we are tired and we don't want to be having these fights. I don't want to be reading stories about, you know, the high school my daughter is going to go to parents protesting outside of it and stomping on pride flags in the month of June. You know, I don't, I don't want to have to go to the counter protest for that. I don't want to have to be, you know, constantly posting on social media about how you can be a better whatever like I, I I'm tired you know I, I we just want to live our lives we want to curl we want to you know I want to be with my wife I want to raise our daughter we just want to live our lives um and celebrate who we are and we're not you know and so to be a better ally like do some of that work for us there's um I'm going to completely butcher it but there's a quote somewhere that's uh you know if you in in times of injustice if you um stay silent you're picking the side of the oppressor which you know is basically saying like if you say nothing you're 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 not on our side you're not helping you know you're you're almost furthering the other side by not speaking up um so you can't just stay silent you can't just say oh, i'm not going to have an opinion on this it, it's it's our lives it's our rights it, you know you can't just be like oh it doesn't affect me so it's not my fight um you know someone you love is probably a part of the queer community, probably. You probably know somebody, whether you know it or not, that is part of the queer community. And we notice when people support us or don't. Um, and, you know, just speak up. Don't let these things go by. You know, there's, you know, I won't get into all this, but anyway, just, okay. just don't, don't sit around and do nothing. You know, we mm. need those voices. We need allies supporting this as well. We don't want to be, you know, constantly, oh, these people so woke and whatever else. You know, we want that support from our allies as well. And we need those voices to be able to, to be heard. So that's not just always complaining as Greg was saying, that's what it sometimes feels like. So. Yeah. Well said, uh, Helen, what, what does, what does allyship mean to you and, and what can curlers do to be better allies? Oh, I think Karen summed up a lot of good things. You know, you see something, say something, you know, it's, it's about, it is about standing up and, and it is about just being part of, any community, all communities, not just, you know, none of us identify in one community. <laughs> we identify in a lot of different ways in our own lives. And I think the key is to just, you know, keep that, keep the action towards inclusiveness and kindness towards one another. And um, 
actually, I don't read the news a lot anymore because it's, it's kind of depressing to, to read the news and I'm not a huge social media person. And I think, um, that saves me from, you know, not being so exposed to all kinds of stories. Like the only time I've seen TikTok or is when my daughter, like, will share a funny video with me or something, but man, there's a lot of stuff out there that just consumes people. And I think the hard part is, you know, we're trying to work against a lot of things instead of working towards a lot of things. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think just take action and in, in whatever way you can is, is kind of key, whether you're in a leadership role or not, um, just being inclusive. Oh, absolutely. And, and Greg, you spoke to the importance of, of allyship, but what can, what can curlers do to be better allies? I, I, yeah, I kind of answered the question before I was asked it, wasn't I? Um, but uh, no, I think that there's, there's a plethora of things that you can do. And I, I want to go back and reiterate the importance of allyship because of how divided our world is. Uh, I'll give you just a quick, quick example here in St. John's. Uh, and a shout out to Sarah Worthman with the NL uh, Queer Research Initiative. We had a counter protest at Confederation Building, uh, which is the legislature here in St. John's. And I wasn't here, I was in Calgary, um, but it was a counter protest because they were talking about uh, safe and caring, inclusive schools and just some very bigoted, far right uh, opinions on that. And we outnumbered them. 400 to four, so that's pretty good uh, as a counter-protest. So I'm really grateful to be from a place like St. John's and Newfoundland Labrador, but um, certainly, you know, it's not like that across the country. It's not like that around even the Western world. But um, yeah, so be, go to something like that. That's an example I wanted to make was, okay, well, you agree that it's bigoted what they're getting on with and what they're saying, but all you're going to do is share it on Facebook and you're not going to attend though you had the day off and your best friend is gay or your brother is, um, you know, or your brother is or your sister or, you know, someone's not binary that's super close to you. So like, why, like, why would you not attend? If you have the ability to attend and it is basically about the human rights of someone that's dear and near to you, then, then attend, come out and support. Um, and it could be, you know, if you can't attend something as simple as sharing, it isn't, you know, it isn't necessarily performative or, you know, anything like that. It is important to do that as well. Uh, as a curler or as any athlete, speak out against locker room talk. It happens a lot more than you think. I, I could be wrong. It might be a little bit more on the male side than the female side of the sport, um, which is which is sad, but speak out against it. You know, if your teammate is gay and someone's making a comment in the locker room and you're not going to talk about that and you're not going to address it or you're not going to, as we'd say in Newfoundland, tell them, tell them where to go and how to get there. Uh, I guess we all say that in a way, but if you're not going to say that or you're not going to educate them, then you're not standing up for your queer teammates. You mm -hmm. know, like I can only imagine if someone was saying something about me uh, and I have no, no issue speaking up for myself whatsoever. But if I heard someone say something about me in a locker room, they didn't know me and it was homophobic um, and my whole team heard it and I consider myself really, really close friends with my whole team and no one said anything. You know, I think I would be incredibly hurt by that. Um, 
that's that's just one example. But uh, anything that you can do to educate yourself is a big one too. I know that some people think that they know, but they don't necessarily know. So as exhausting and depressing as it can be um, for you know our straight cis allies, educate yourself on what's happening around the world. That our existence is illegal and punishable by death in a plethora of countries around the world. That this isn't this isn't twenty twenty three in every country in this globe, right? So educate yourself on that. I know the importance of it because it is human rights, you know. And when we're talking about human rights, let's never forget how far we've came. But still, there's people that want to crawl us back in. So I think education is key. Speaking up is key. Uh, showing up is key. And uh, if you can't show up, then make sure you share and make sure that you're there for people that you love and care about, because it's going to be a hard pill to swallow if we find out that you didn't stand up for us when you had the opportunity to do so. Mm. Uh, yeah, absolutely, Greg. And, and thank you for speaking to that. I think I can, I've definitely resonated with that a bit. And, you know, I've been doing Likewise. a lot of, yeah, that, I've been doing a lot of. Not activities. in curling though. No, totally. <laughs> teammates. I'm not calling out any teammates. They were great. <laughs> Absolutely. And like, I think I, I've been really lucky to have some really great teammates. You know, I've, I've had a slur used on the sheet beside me one time when I was curling and, and my teammates acted very quickly to, to support me in that way, as did my coach, thankfully. But, um, you know, even as, as you mentioned, you know, recently, you know, it, uh, <laughs> twofold as, as an Atlantic Canadian in, in, in the queer community, but also in the Ottawa bubble where people often forget that things exist east of Quebec. Um, just saying. I'm born and um, raised in Ottawa, so I understand what you're saying. I know, I, I know where the right. I understand. <laughs> if, when I start, like when someone starts talking about the, like, sorry, this is my little brief tangent. Forgive me. Um, when someone starts talking about outrage at a school board in York not raising a pride flag, as they rightfully should, right? As they rightfully should. But if I mention policy 713 in New Brunswick, there's just eyes glazed over, excuse me, I got to go take a nap. Uh, I'd, where is New Brunswick? And who's like, who's there? Why, why do I care? Uh, right? And I remember at the time when this happened, because the whole fiasco in New Brunswick occurred shortly after the York Catholic District School Board voted not to raise the pride flag. Um, I did a lot of outreach to, to folks here. I, I work in government relations and, and just personally on a basis, I, I let a lot of my friends who work in government know like, hey, by the way, um, our rights are being attacked and you know, trans youth and, and queer youth are being attacked in you know, policy. Uh, you were more than willing to go on Twitter and condemn a school board in, in New York. Have you said anything about New Brunswick? This was a month ago, and it's the entirety of the Department of Education of a whole province. It's supposedly dedicated to the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. You mm -hmm. You gonna just say anything? Yeah. And a month ago, the response I got back was, well, you know, we don't want to talk about education it's a jurisdiction of the provinces and you know no you know we stand up for lgbtq plus rights and then three and a half weeks later i'm very thankful to say everybody and their mother is paying attention to what's happening in new brunswick um mildly frustrating that interim period where i was you know raising the alarm but those kinds of things are exhausting 
right? For all of us. And in that case, that's what I was doing. But many of us do that advocacy or, or see that in different ways or watch that in different ways. And it's tiring in different ways, right? Whether it personally reaches you, Helen, as you spoke to with Greg's experience earlier, and it personally affects you. And that can be tiring emotionally, and particularly if it happens on a regular basis as it has to Greg and so many other people within the LGBTQ plus community for forever. And it still happens again. Um, you know, allyship is standing up for others, even though you may not understand them, even though you may not agree with them, stand up and speak up for them because you care for them or you care for their rights. You may not even know them, but they matter and they matter to someone else. And if you're a parent in particular, and this is some of the most beautiful moments of pride every single year, is you have parents who go to Pride because they understand that some people who are there do not have parents who accept or love them for who they are. And guess what? There are people in your curling community who have the same situation and the same feeling, and you can show them that love, yeah. right? You don't know who's coming through your door as a curling club. You don't know what walk of life they've come from, what background they've come from, their socioeconomic status. You don't know them. But that doesn't mean you don't need to accept them. And that doesn't mean you can't show them love and empathy and treat them that way. Because sometimes sports, particularly in a moment like we're seeing right now, as we've all spoken to, where our rights are under attack in a number of areas, sometimes sports in the sporting community might be the only safe space that young person or that queer person or that LGBTQ plus person has. Remember that. And with that quickly, <laughs> as I understand we've gone long, um, and I'm not sorry for those listening. Um, what is something that our, our curling clubs or, or associations or the curling community can do going forward to, to be more inclusive of, of the LGBTQIA2S plus community? Um, Karen, did you, did you want to start? Um, yeah, I mean, I think we've talked a little bit about all different things about um, just to me, it's being vocal. Um, you know, those examples of like Greg and John playing at the Briar and there was a focus on that. They could have just been like, oh, these are two guys playing against each other. We're not, you know, whatever. It's just some game. Um, but being vocal and highlighting those stories um, and, and outwardly being supportive, outwardly being allies. You know, right now we're at a point, we've talked about this, you know, our board, our various boards may or may not be the most diverse and maybe not as diverse as they should be, but the way to um, move forward is to still at least, even if, at least if your board is not diverse, you need to be outwardly outspoken in support of diversity and inclusion. Um, it can't just be like, oh, well, you know, we're fine with it. We're not gonna say anything, but we're fine with it. You, you have to, you have to actually do it. You have to be outwardly outspoken about it. Um, you know, I've had, I have had people speak to me and say, hey, I'm a gay curler and I don't really know where I can go, who I can talk to. Is there a group somewhere that I can be part of? I know of people who are queer and not out in the curling community as well because they're not sure where those safe spaces are. Outwardly outspoken is, is what I can just kind of say, like be really blunt. We are accepting, we welcome everybody. You know, those rainbow flags on the door seem like a tiny little thing, but they matter. Like every little thing that you do matters. Um, the language that you use, like putting people's pronouns even on your website, um, not, you know, 
we kind of, like you said, in sport, um, Helen have an issue with the fact that we have kind of a male and female category, and that's a whole other issue. But, um, you know, making sure people know that however they identify, they are welcome. They're welcome to be in the space that makes them the most comfortable. Um, just really making that clear and blunt and not not just kind of hoping it's clear without really saying it and not wanting to offend anybody. Just do it. Say it out loud all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. Good, good points. Well made. Greg, what can we do going forward? I agree pretty well entirely with what uh, Karen said. I don't have much to add at all. Um, yeah, I think using inclusive language. I think one other part to kind of add on that is like uh, when we address a crowd, you know, um, say folks. I mean, in Newfoundland, we don't really use the English language. It's just a guide for us. So, <laughs> you know, ye, you know, <laughs> that, that might be, you know, Ali here tonight, whatever, right? Um, Ladies and gentlemen can really just be. It, we can, we can <laughs> eradicate that, right? Uh, because it doesn't, not everybody fits into those categories. Um, and I guess, you know, if you have a Southern draw, you can say y'all. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's one thing kind of just to go on to that. I think the member associations, Curling Canada are doing amazing work having the resources there is huge kind of hard lens to say but like is there a way that you can mandate that clubs use it you know that's that's the hard kind of awkward situation especially that there is clubs that are not affiliated with their member association and that is a fact here in Newfoundland there is a Newfoundland Labrador I gotta include Labrador um but uh there's arena clubs or there's clubs that are not affiliated with the provincial body that you know making sure that they have you know, they either use those resources or can we get them affiliated or whatever and make sure that we're all kind of under an umbrella and using the same kind of uh, same kind of guide. Um, funding is contingent on that. You don't get funding and you don't get support if you're not falling under this umbrella and being supportive and being allies. A hundred percent, hundred percent. I think that's the lens to kind of take it to, right? Um, yeah, your boards are another big one, making sure that your boards represent um, what your community looks like. But first of all, the, the issue before that is that you're not just going to have people in their first year of curling join the board, not necessarily. So there is going to be a transition period there where people need to feel comfortable in the space and then encourage to get onto a board, then encourage to get onto your provincial body and et cetera. So, you know, making sure that it is more diverse as your membership is important right off the go. And then after, you know, making those steps necessary to make them comfortable in a more leadership position. Um, yeah, I think those are those are really huge ways. As said previously, the sticker on the door is so important. Um, it, it, it really is. It like it really, really is. And I know when I was questioning who I was as a kid and I didn't know which way I would go and I actually wasn't comfortable in my own skin, going into school and seeing, you know, everyone is safe and welcome. This is an inclusive space, right? With the rainbow flag, you know, there was a part of me that I didn't even know existed or I kind of tried to suppress that was very glad and very happy about that. So that's, you know, one really, really small way, but I think that the other ways are important um, and trying to mandate that uh, the guides are used and that they're looked at. It's a hard one to do, but I think that's quite important. And I like what Karen said is that funding is um, based on that. Yeah, for sure. You know, those are all all important recommendations. And I think one thing I'd say for, for curling clubs in particular, and even associations is like, what does your board look like? 
what does your staff look like? Right? It takes time to transition your membership, you know, in terms of being more inclusive. It could take once. Sorry, sorry, go ahead, Greg. I got one really quick one. Yeah. Um, because our sports and a lot of sports have, you know, the the gender differences in, mm-hmm. you know, it just the way it is in a competitive level. I think that another way to, if you have the opportunity as a club or, you know, if you can, I think that having a gender neutral bathroom is huge. Mm-hmm. You know, I think if you have bathrooms that are, whatever way you can make people that are not, male or female cis comfortable do so i think that's one thing really like for a lot of in a lot of cases in recreational curling like does it need to be men's and women's curling you know what i mean like it doesn't doesn't need even in mixed you know in in mixed doubles or something but like like does it have to be a man and woman like you know what i mean think Mm -hmm. about that especially you know competitive it's one thing but when you're talking about recreational curling do you have to divide it based on that like does it really matter no so don't you know, I I totally agree. So in the doubles league here um, at Ballyhealy last year and before, if two men or two women want to play, I didn't care. Like you know, and I think that mm-hmm. we can let, in a recreational lens of that, we can totally let that happen. And also, if you can break down, you know, the gendered bathrooms as well, I think that's a, another key one. But if you have, you know, a separate bathroom that you can make someone feel comfortable in, that you'd like to do that give her any way that you can make it more inclusive uh you know do it any way whatsoever yeah Sorry for cutting you off, well. no it's okay greg thank you that was, that was an important point and, and i was going to mention it as well so really really important you you shared that um and again you know for curling clubs and associations as your staff it can take one good inclusive hire for you to change the perspective someone has about your club or institution Right. You may take time to welcome other members into your club or it may take time to include other folks in the building. But, you know, you you have control over who works at your facility. And if you're looking for staff, maybe think about making a more inclusive hire. Maybe. And for the record, it only takes one bad person as well. So when you're hiring people, if you can't hire diverse people, at least hire people who are going to be inclusive. Like if you hire, if I see someone working somewhere and I know that they're homophobic or bigot or whatever like that changes my whole perspective mm-hmm. of that environment like anyway sorry to cut you off again no <laughs> again again really good points so I, I i agree fully just to 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 close us off on this one helen last but certainly not least what what, what can we do going forward to make curling more inclusive well i think the the suggestions that have already been made are huge and so i'm not going to repeat those um one thing I would love to see change is for people to stop when they welcome a group or see people say, Hey guys, drives me crazy. So you could have a curling coach talk to four girls and that curling coach, male or female starts the practice and says, okay, guys, you ready? Here we go. So, you know, to Greg's point of saying folks or y'all or everyone or, you know, just, just acknowledging, um, the group as opposed to putting a gender or some specific identity towards it, make it a little bit more general as you welcome whoever's there. There's a curling club, um, in Canada that was trying to figure out how to get indigenous, the indigenous community into the curling club. And so they spent time trying to figure it out. And then somebody said, well, we don't know what to do. Like this, this, we're not part of this community. So they 
worked with the indigenous community, brought them to the curling club numerous times and had them say, what would you like to see here? What would you, what would make you feel welcome when you walk into this curling club? And so what they did is they, the indigenous um, community started putting some of their, um, like their art and just different things that connected them. And what they did is they started holding meetings there. So they didn't go there to curl. They used it for their community. Why, why do we, we don't need to make everybody go on the ice. That's just one part of being inclusive. So that's another thing that clubs could do. And like, I was just at the Pride Nationals here in Halifax. That's a moneymaker. Like Mayflower Curling Club did a fabulous job. It's in St. John's next year. That is a moneymaker. So from a business side, like clubs need to look at, they're going to bring in a lot of money off the bar and off the, you know, from food and ice rental and all that kind of stuff. And it's fun. You know, our community is a fun community. And so I think, um, you know, there's no shortage getting volunteers because they know when they volunteer at the pride events, they're going to have fun, whether they're part of the community or not. Um, you know, I think that's a, that's a key piece too. If there's any community ever in the history of humanity that has known how to throw a party, it is the LGBTQ plus community. We know how to have a good time. And so, uh, you know, pride nationals is one of those that's huge. Um, my, my only lesson coming out of that as well is like, if you're looking to do these kinds of things, like someone asked me at one of the symposiums, like, should we have a, a pride league? Sure. Absolutely. But don't ask me, ask your community. If that's going to be something that welcomes them, then yes, you know, sure. Go for it. Um, don't call it the gay curling league, please. I've seen that a few times. Please don't <laughs> because you've already excluded the vast majority of the community by just calling it one of those things. So just think about this like in the inclusive language that some of us have spoken to and some of those other pieces. But um, as Helen rightly said, we, we know how to have a good time. We know how to have fun. This has been fun um, and really important and really impactful. And, and, and thank you, Karen, Craig, and, and Helen for joining me for this conversation and trusting me and having this conversation with all of you that I, I'm sure is going to be very important for people listening and watching at home. Um, if you have had fun with us, please do share this video or wherever you're listening to this podcast, do share the podcast with other folks um, and try and, uh, and get some more visibility to these issues in curling, but also outside in your own life. This might be an entry that someone has to learning about this subject and this discussion in a, in a more casual kind of discussion. Um, this podcast is made possible by Curling Canada. I'm really grateful to have the privilege to be able to host this, but thank you to them for allowing me to do so and for publishing it and providing myself, but all of these wonderful folks as well with a platform to speak to these issues, firstly. Secondly, thank you to the World Curling Federation for sponsoring and funding this as well. Without them, we wouldn't be able to do this. And thank you for sharing your time with us. I'm Will Robertson. This has been the Curling for Change podcast on curling with pride. Happy Pride, but also take care.